Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Gurney Norman, novelist and short story writer, lives in Lexington where he is a professor of English at the University of Kentucky, a position he has held for 36 years, the University of Kentucky, his alma mater. A native of eastern Kentucky and southwestern Virginia, he was the recipient of a Wallace Stegner Fellowship in Creative Writing at Stamford University. He was appointed Kentucky Port Laureate in 2009. Gurney's novel, Divine Rights Trip, first appeared in the last Whole Earth Catalog. His novel, Kinfolks, won the Weatherford Award as the Appalachian Book of the Year. Norman has received many honors for his work and is widely known as an Appalachian literary historian and cultural advocate. He is the co-editor of Backtalk from Appalachia, Confronting Stereotypes, and An American Vein, Critical Readings in Appalachian Literature. Gurney's new book is titled Allegiance, an original set of stories spanning 40 years of work. Allegiance is an autobiography told through stories, told mainly in the voice of Norman's fictional narrator, Wilgus Collier. There's a foreword by poet Letha Kendrick, an author's note, and an original cover painting by Appalachian artist Pam Oldfield Mead. A selection of non-fiction pieces comprises the book's epilogue. It is a masterpiece. I'm so glad to have Gurney Norman on the podcast, and we'll tell everybody that we're recording in an old haunt of yours, <laughs> Mike Courtney's uh, Black Swan Bookshop uh, in I'm Lexington. I'm so glad to be in this space. It's wonderful, yeah. Gurney, uh, an Appalachian literature as a, as a sub-genre um, is uh, what one uh, writer, uh, one critic, uh, called a lot of your work. Appalachian literature as a subgenre. In other words, it's not just a, a fiction, nonfiction. It it really has, because of the body of work, created its its own genre. Talk to me about Appalachian literature. Well, uh, think uh, of a part of North America uh, and defined. Um, geographically uh, and by um, uh, rivers, the flowing waters. Uh, the southern mountains is another way to refer to it. Um, it is um, ancient land and uh, inhabited uh, by people perhaps 10,000 years before the Anglos uh, arrived. Um, and in um, uh, our century, uh, writers have emerged uh, from the mountains and uh, some, well, the three most famous and prominent uh, uh, writers um, um, 
were uh, James Still, Harriet Simpson Arnold, and Jesse Stewart. And <clears throat> uh, I'm afraid um, we don't have recent scholarship on those writers, but it's time to uh, tend to them again. They're my forebears. I knew all three of them, and they were mentors to me, very uh, generous and supportive, uh, especially Mr. Still. Um, but uh, I, uh, as a young writer emerging in the uh, 60s and early 70s, uh, I had occasion to be with uh, uh, Harriet Arnaud and, uh, and Jesse, it was ever present. Uh, um, uh, meaningful to me that uh, uh, James Still and Jesse Stewart both uh, had been uh, students at Lincoln Memorial University, and that uh, is just one mile from Cumberland Gap. And so, uh, and my uh, parents met at uh, LMU and uh, my mother uh, became a teacher, and, uh, um, and she had grown up there in the Powell Valley of Virginia, which uh, uh, ends on its western end at Cumberland Gap. Uh, Cumberland Gap, and maybe it's a generational thing, I'm not sure if young people have the interest uh, in uh, such historical matters, but uh, uh, my mother was from the Powell Valley, and my father was uh, from, uh, uh, finally, uh, Perry County, Kentucky, but they met at LMU. And my dad was there only for one year. My mother was there for three years as young people, but that's where they met. And uh, so that personalizes it for me. Uh, and then, uh, uh, well, it, it is, uh, um, a study. Uh, I think uh, LMU is very proud of the writers who were st students there who became uh, writers. Um, so uh, that place and that landscape, um, that place on the map, Cumberland Gap with LMU only a mile away. Uh, I know that my mother and father on their first dates, walked to the Gap. And until the recent era, uh, there was a road uh, across the Gap, but there, the railroad came through the Gap, through a tunnel. 
in about 1912, I think. And uh, so to walk through the tunnel uh, was something that uh, my parents uh, did on their, uh, their, you know, the idea of a date in those days <laughs> where you took a walk. And uh, I teased my mother uh, about walking through a railroad tunnel with this, her boyfriend, who became my father. And I said to my mother, y'all didn't stop in there and have a little kiss, did you? <laughs> and she confessed, yes, they did. In fact, you write in Allegiance um, about uh, a trip that you took with your mother uh, to go back and, and visit those places that you're telling us about. Exactly, exactly. And uh, uh, I have, uh, I'm very place-oriented. The, uh, the actual location, uh, uh, including small towns, um, but r rural areas and just stretches of road, like uh, through the Powell Valley that leads to Cumberland Gap. Uh, uh, maybe it's generational, uh, but I'm very oriented to the um, landscape and the roads and the, and the flowing water. Uh, and uh, have uh, paid attention to, in fact, uh, work with colleagues on uh, some uh, television work uh, about the Kentucky River and uh, those waters down in the Cumberland Gap area. They meant um, a lot to you and you write uh, so lovingly of that uh, period in your life and, and uh, the times that you were living there and then the times that you went back and visited. Let me turn uh, to Allegiance, uh, Gurney, and, and ask you about a, a, a term that is used uh, whether you uh, accept it or adopt it or whether it's uh, someone else's term that uh, describes your work, autobiographical nonfiction. Autobiographical nonfiction. Tell me, um, and then the, the, tack the word fiction on there, autobiographical nonfiction fiction. So. Tell me about that. Well, I, I don't think I have used the term uh, fiction, nonfiction, um, but um, it's simple. The uh, book, um, Allegiance, uh, has uh, uh, short stories I've written and, uh, and then uh, autobiographical uh, I guess you call them essays uh, also, but I, I don't conflate them so much myself. You, um, as you've, I think, identified, uh, are writing about your life. Um, I, I, much of my writing is autobiographical. And it's about your growing up now. The, the interesting thing, I think, for anyone who has read you or read other uh, Appalachian literature is that you are writing about your life, yet at the same time there are places where you might have um, 
is embellished uh, not a kind word to say? Uh, no, it's, it's uh, fair. Uh, but um, um, I begin as a short story writer, very much influenced by uh, James uh, Still, who incidentally attended LMU, as did Jesse Stewart. Uh, and um, um, to, um, oh, significantly, at uh, Stanford University, I worked with the great Irish short story writer, Frank O'Connor. And Mr. O'Connor and I had a special connection, I think, in that um, his part of Ireland, um, he, um, and he read my writing, he was my teacher, and um, uh, he, we together could see Ireland, Appalachia, uh, with much in common. I think starting with folk culture. Would you mind telling us the story, um, speaking of, of your Stigner Fellowship um, in um, Palo Alto when you were just a, a young person. You'd, mm -hmm. you'd been to the University of Kentucky and you were fortunate to get this uh, um, fellowship and you were there with some other uh, notable Kentucky writers. Uh, but you also met some other, uh, Frank O'Connor being one of those, but you also were exposed to other uh, figures in literature that were giants like Robert Frost. Uh, <clears throat> I uh, uh, had, a, and I've written about Mr. Frost. Um, well, it's hard to know where to start. Uh, <laughs> I uh, was encouraged by my uh, teachers at UK uh, in my senior year. I um, uh, had taken the creative writing courses at UK that I now teach, and um, um, and uh, with <laughs> not just encouragement but with uh, uh, rec uh, the requirement, uh, my Robert Hazel. Uh, well, let me back up. I prepared my application to Stanford University. I had a letter written, three of my short stories, all in an envelope, and it was um, sealed and addressed with stamps on it. And I had uh, trouble uh, bringing myself to the point of actually mailing it. Why? I, I, I thought maybe I was... Um, getting above my raising. I was uh, uh, reaching too far. And uh, my teacher, Robert Hazel, said, Gurney, did you send in your application to Stanford? I said, well, I have it ready. And uh, a month later, he, re he repeated it again, by which time 
the uh, envelope with my application and my storage and it had fallen to the floor of my car. It was down there under the junk. <laughs> and I said, well, it's in my car. And, uh, 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 and he'd been my mentor for two or three years. Very important uh, influence. And uh, he said, well, Granny, did you mail your application to Stanford? I said, well, no, it's in my car. And he said, well, look, if you don't send that, if you don't mail that envelope, I don't want anything more to do with you. And he was serious? Oh, yeah. Um, because I was, I would have been uh, declining to be ambitious. And, uh, but he had confidence uh, in me, and, uh, but he made that uh, threat, and I put it in the mail the next day. Well, you were on a road trip, weren't you? I was in down in North Carolina yeah. in uh, Avery County, and um, um, uh, it, it was smudged by now, uh, the envelope, but it was in my car. And I was in Newland, North Carolina, and I parked in front of the uh, drugstore there, and there was a U.S. mailbox. And so I took, <laughs> finally dropped it into the mail. And uh, several weeks later, I got word that I had been accepted as a fellow in Stanford's uh, uh, creative, graduate creative writing program, and uh, uh, where uh, was expenses paid, and I was um, immediately in a class taught by Malcolm Cowley, who was a leading figure in the uh, earlier part of the century uh, and uh, had been an intimate friend of uh, Hemingway and Scott Fitzgerald and that was, that's who he was. And uh, uh, so uh, I wound up, because I finally mailed my application, got word I'd been granted a fellowship got myself to California. I had an old uh, 51 Ford, eight cylinders. It got about 10 miles a gallon and about 40 miles to the quart of oil. <laughs> and, uh, and I drove it uh, to um, Palo Alto and uh, joined the class and uh, Mr. Cowley was our teacher, and as I began to read who was Malcolm Cowley, I, re <laughs> I realized I'd come a long way from Hazard, and, uh, uh, but all went well, um, and um, uh, my, uh, um, I did a lot of writing and just took advantage to the point that, uh, well, I might not have remained in California, but I had an Army um, 
obligation. All young American males did, two years. And so it was time for me to go into the U.S. Army. I, I was at Stanford that one year and met writers and so on, but I didn't know that I would ever go back to California. And so I got in the U.S. Army, finished training at Fort Benning, and got my orders. Fort Ord, California, mm. at Monterey, only about 80 miles from Palo Alto. So the Army sent me back to um, Northern California, where I resumed my friendships with um, my writer friends. Now, and, and do a little name dropping there. Your writer friends, uh, we, we might recognize some of those names. Well, um, uh, um, probably the most literary among us was uh, the Texas writer Larry McMurtry. Lonesome Dove was his probably most famous book. But uh, Ken Kesey from uh, Oregon was in the class. And uh, uh, a Jewish kid, Peter Beagle, uh, who was actually probably the most talented of anybody. And uh, he uh, had, um, had success as a, as a novelist. But those were my, became my buddies, you know, we hung out together, we were all young and could stay up all night and not suffer too bad. Um, so... Um, and it was on one of those occasions when you were in school for that year that Robert Frost was a guest that's at, right. uh, at the professor's home? That's right, And uh, but uh, Mr. Frost had... Uh, in my last year here at UK, had come to UK as a guest. And uh, I uh, went to his reading in Memorial Hall, and, uh, and then um, um, there we were um, in the Stanford writing community, and the director of the writing program was a very fine novelist, uh, Wallace Stegner, and uh, he invited us uh, student writers up to his uh, home one evening just for dessert, and his house guest was Robert Frost. And uh, it just so happened that uh, Mr. Frost and I sat facing each other, and uh, uh, and um, and and it was utterly relaxed. We were all writers, and uh, so the t conversation was just kind of literary uh, talk. I was not shy. I I I, uh, I was always willing to uh, speak when I had something to say. But in any case. Uh, there at um, Mr. Stegner's house that evening, um, I sat face to face with Robert Frost, and I'm sure he didn't quite remember the occasion, but I never forgot it. Gurney, let me um, 
return to uh, Allegiance, uh, which is just out. And by the way, just a little side note that you'll be at the Kentucky Book Festival on November the 6th uh, at Joseph Beth Booksellers to uh, to talk to people and, yes. and to sign uh, uh, your book. Yeah. And yeah. Um, uh, it'll be wonderful to have you there. Uh, let me read just a short sentence or two from the foreword of Allegiance uh, oh. that Letha Kendrick wrote. And then I want to ask you to, to comment on it. Okay. Um, she writes that uh, Gurney Norman unleashes a tour de force of writing styles and techniques across the collection. Lyric meditations, narrative realism, anecdotes, dreamscates, jack tales, and dreams of consciousness. The book as a whole works by accretion and juxtaposition. Its stories, the product of years of writing, strike many different tones and different depths as stanzas might in a long poem. <laughs> That's quite high praise. Well, it is, and uh, I uh, hope I have thanked her. <laughs> um, well, we, the, these different, what, what for you as a, a writer of such renown and such a famous Kentucky writer as well as a national figure in the in the writing world and still writing today all of these different uh, genres and 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 figures of speech and and styles tell me a little bit about uh, what brought you to the to the to the table to put this together well, um, I um, grew up in uh, eastern Kentucky and uh, was uh, lived much of my early life with uh, grandparents. And uh, uh, my uh, mother's parents were... Uh, uh, traditional people. Uh, they uh, had uh, lived, uh, they always built their own house in Lee County, Virginia, which is adjacent to Harlan County, Kentucky. Um, they, uh, uh, they're still standing six or eight houses that they built by hand, and that's how they <coughs> got ahead. They raised eight children, one of them was my mother, and I lived with grandma and granddad quite a bit as a, as a kid. Um, uh, and so uh, we, one couldn't help but be influenced uh, by her speech and her, uh, she was a powerful woman. You didn't want to get on the wrong side of grandma. She had raised eight children um, and had um, uh, been um, um, a farmer herself, always kept livestock. Um, she could ring the a chicken neck or two. Oh yeah, also. oh yeah, definitely. Uh, and then, you know, it would come hog killing day. Uh, she uh, was not hesitant to do 
what you do when you kill a hog, you know, uh, uh, and Granddad as well. They were both the traditional people, but had raised eight children who came of age in the 30s. They had four sons, all in World War II at the same time. And those were the years when um, uh, I and my sister and brother at the time, uh, we were sent to live with Grandma. Uh, uh, my granddad was Rufus Music, M-U-S-I-C-K. And they were uh, strong people. They were so capable. Um, they uh, built their own houses. That's how they got ahead. Uh, they would uh, buy a few acres, build a house on it, live in it a few years, and then do it again. I think they built something like uh, six houses uh, in Lee County, Virginia. And these are all stories that you return to in your writing and have all of your life, uh, <clears throat> but there are some new additions to this. But tell us um, a little bit about the, the, the stories that you do write about, about your, uh, about your pony, um, about, um, about your dog. Um, my, uh, my pony, um, of course, Grown-ups will allow a kid to claim ownership of animals. Um, uh, my uh, grandfather uh, and his sons um, opened a coal mine. They went in. They were uh, opened a small truck mine, and they knew how to do that. And um, it was called a pony mine. The coal was pulled out from underground, maybe hundreds of yards underground. And the pony would pull the coal car out. They were called a pony mine. And, uh, and then these ponies, uh, uh, lived there on the hillside farm where my grandparents, uh, where I lived with my grandparents. And uh, uh, so I had the experience of being uh, a, a real country kid. But Grandma believed in education. She had had four daughters and four sons. And she put them, all the girls, through college. And uh, uh, two of the boys, I think, uh, went, to, uh, went to college. And uh, so uh, she was a country woman, and, uh, but understood that education was vital. And uh, if you didn't do your lessons, if you didn't study, 
she would uh, notice it. She, you, <laughs> it was, um, I would say the source of my uh, learning to concentrate. So anyhow, uh, uh, I had the great benefit of living with those grandparents as a country kid with the woods and the pasture and the animals and the barn and manual work. Um, and um, um, I wouldn't take anything for that experience. You were really fortunate to have that, I was. that upbringing. I was. And my parents had bad luck. Uh, uh, my dad uh, lived his last years in the Veterans Hospital and so on. So uh, um, at age nine, uh, well, and I had an older brother, uh, two years older than me. Jerry. Jerry. And. Um, when I was nine and he was ten or eleven, um, <clears throat> right after the war, our father, an army veteran, he was not a combat veteran, but he served in the army. Uh, he um, um, uh, the challenge was in the late forties is to find work. And uh, the coal industry was changing, declining, and new technology did not need laborers the way it had. And so uh, my father uh, uh, was among the thousands of working men from the mountains who suddenly uh, needed to go to Ohio and Michigan looking for work uh, as the coal industry technology changed and so on. Gurney, um, this is such an interesting story uh, about your time that you spent in boarding school yeah. uh, with your brother and, yeah. and uh, your athletic uh, abilities. I want you to just tell that story real quickly about uh, when you were uh, the quarterback? <laughs> well, there, uh, um, uh, I, my brother and I were sent to boarding school, a church school that had a little football team. And uh, I, uh, It was natural for me to play end. I could catch the ball. And then uh, our quarterback was hurt, and the coach, the coach said, uh, let's put Gurney in at quarterback. And uh, um, uh, what I could not do was pass the ball. I had no talent. But I uh, had a sense of, uh, uh, well, a responsibility to Coach Johnson. He trusted me, and so I uh, uh, became the quarterback, a non-passing quarterback for 
a high school football team, and uh, 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 so uh, interestingly, these years later, I remembered some of those games play by play, and sometimes you goof up and are sorry, and every now and then, you know, you do something right, and uh, it was very, it was formative experience to be yeah. the quarterback of a high school. One department. of those stories was uh, you didn't have a real strong offense, so you decided on one play to do a quarterback sneak. <laughs> and you got six or eight yards, and, well, and then what I, happened? And, well, uh, <laughs> we were probably on our own 30-yard line, and nothing worked. And so I just tried a quarterback sneak and made several yards. And I thought, well, that, that was easy, and so we called it another quarterback sneak. <laughs> and... Um, the, the other team must have been confused as we were, and um, but um, I called something like a dozen quarterback sneaks, and we marched down the field. Uh, we were 20 points behind. It didn't occur to us that we might win a game. What we wanted to do was to make a touchdown, and um, so... Uh, the quarterback sneaks uh, uh, seem to be the one play that worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, in Allegiance, uh, the the final piece that uh, that you write has uh, some would call it a stream of consciousness. I don't know what you would call it or that, not. That's what I thought uh, it was. Yeah, uh, uh, it doesn't really fall into any other uh, category or label. It's, I, I call it stream of consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about the process of writing that, and 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 why that's included in the collection. What what was important to you about being able to do that? Well, um, uh, to write a short story is an arduous task. Uh, it's a demanding form, and I, I, I may have mentioned uh, Mr. O'Connor that I. A master short Irish short story writer who paid attention to me he he could see that my upbringing in the mountain region here um, uh, reminding him of his upbringing in uh, Ireland uh, kind of poor people folk culture uh, so I had a special connection to Mr. O'Connor, and uh, <clears throat> he uh, uh, just sort of gave me permission and encouragement, um, and um, probably suggested that I read some James Joyce. Uh, the idea that consciousness itself goes on in our minds all the time. And how do you reflect uh, the mental process and make it interesting and be a narrative? 
So um, it was um, from him that I uh, would even know um, um, about um, uh, such a thing as stream of consciousness. So you were thinking of, um, of Frank O'Connor and Irish writers, Joyce also, of course. As you were writing this piece uh, for Allegiance. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, and, and also, it, it comes from having so much material. You know a thousand stories, but you're only going to write 20. The short story is a demanding form. It's not easy to write a short story. and it, come out right um, and uh, but one has a bounty of material you know just memories and images and characters and stuff and so uh, I uh, uh, had uh, been exposed to uh, uh, James Joyce to uh, the Irish writers and and uh, to uh, repeat, Ireland and Appalachia have much in common, folk culture, um, and uh, so uh, I uh, had material that I knew I would not spend ten years writing the short stories, and so I wanted to try stream of consciousness. Gurney, uh, another fine writing institution uh, is the underwriter of our podcast. That's Spalding University and their, their writing program, their yes. MFA. Yes, yes. And we're going to pause and hear a, a word from them, and then we'll come back with a final question. At Spalding University's Low Residency MFA in Creative Writing, serious writers thrive with one-on-one -on -one faculty attention in a supportive community. Study fiction. Poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, or writing for TV, screen, and stage. Stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies, or travel to Paris for short-term study abroad. Flexible scheduling and affordable tuition put a top-tier MFA in reach. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing, or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Gurney, um, you, you've had a, a wonderful life. I have. And you've um, put it all down on paper many times. Uh, I have, um, I'll go out on the, on the limb here and just say that, I, 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 that this was a wonderful work and very enjoyable. And I think that, that people um, need to read it for, for how, how things used to be and, and how things are today. And I know you must be very proud of it. Well, I am proud of it. And um, uh, everything about the book pleases me. And I'm continuing. Uh, uh, I have, you know, I used to work for a weekly newspaper. The Hazard Herald, right? That's, I did. I worked in a lot of early writing is feature stories mostly. And so um, I have my Wilgus character uh, um, he uh, it's his stream of consciousness 
So uh, Appalachian stream of consciousness, uh, that's what my attempt is in the last, uh, last pages there. Um, and, um, um, but I have um, an, an, another book underway, a more con straightforward fiction, um, that comes from my newspaper background. And so the, um, uh, I call uh, this newspaper The Record. There are newspapers called The Record. And the county, and fictional county, is Finley County. And so the title of my book in progress is The Finley County Record. And the word record is in italics. And so it is uh, meant, uh, it's as if um, I'm writing for my own fictional newspaper. Yeah. We look forward to, uh, to seeing that uh, soon. Uh, well, maybe not soon, maybe another year, certainly. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> that is um, uh, my, it's my present, present work and uh, um, uh, I'm, I've got about 90 pages. I need another couple hundred. I mean, I need uh, a lot of pages to uh, represent the Finley County record. Gurney, thank you very much. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it so much and uh, feel very honored to be invited to uh, to uh, talk uh, with you, and uh, thank you for your work. You, you, you uh, hold us all together, you know, uh, and make um, create the community around us. Uh, uh, so, uh, so thank you. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.